Maiders Podcast. I'm your host, James Taptinos, and to my right is my co-host, Dan Cav. We do this podcast because we love gear. We love the gear that makes the tone, that makes the mood in the song, right? We do this because, frankly, our wives are so tired of us hearing us bullshit about musical instruments when we're all together that we needed to find another outlet to do it. Um, So we said, why not do it with some of the greatest musicians we know and some that we don't know um, and uh, share it with the world. So that's why we're here. So today's guest is probably one of the I'm going to overblow it and and he's going to he's going to you know tell me I'm overdoing it but sincerely he's probably one of the most progressive musicians to ever come out of the hardcore punk scene um and segue into a career in music which was kind of what we all kind of wished we were able to do. Uh, I did it in a different way, Dan did it in a different way, all artistic. But his band credits include Warzone, Gorilla Biscuits, Youth of Today, Moondog, Quicksand, Civ, World's Fastest Car, Rival Schools, Walking Concert, Solo. Keep you wondering who the guest is for another minute. Um, Dead Heavens, Vanishing Life, and his solo, Walter Schreifels. Actually, I think at one time the working title might have been Walter Schreifels and the Motorcycles. Um his songwriting defined subgenres of punk and indie rock. And while everybody else was following, he was reinventing something new. Musician, producer, influencer. And I'm really proud to be actually, we are really proud to be able to call this guy a really good friend of ours. Welcome, Walter Schreifels. Thanks, fellas. James, that was a beautiful intro. Uh, I am, am humbled. That was awesome. Uh, yeah, glad to be here and uh, and talk gear and and you know music, life, whatever. It's it's awesome. Well, we're glad that you took the time out, and uh, we've been kind of waiting and pushing your episode off and asking you to be on because we we wanted to kind of hone our skills a little bit of being interviewers, yeah. and uh, so I think we're finally here. So we no, we'll start not. this off. <laughs> the intro was pretty solid, I have to say. All right. <laughs> you know, I'm gonna we'll I'm gonna add a writer to my credits. You got intro down real good. So uh, that's, a, that's a, it's all downhill from here. All downhill. Some people never get that though. So uh, it's a good, it's, it's, it's something. <laughs> all right. So we're going to start this off the way we start them all off. And we, we all heard the story of the first time I saw the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. Right. Uh-huh. You know, and that's what made me want to play like Ringo or whatever. Um mm. You know, we all saw the band, right? But what's the first time you saw a musical instrument that made you say, I've got to learn how to play that? I want to play that. Um, Like a, an actual with my own eyes, seeing a musical instrument. Yeah. Uh, Who was playing something that really made you tingle? Um, I guess seeing like real guitars like you know that i had seen in um you know movies about rock stars or whatever you know uh seeing like a les paul in real life you know like there was i lived in rockaway and i remember there was these uh they'd have like little you know local bands would play on the beach every once in a while and i I, yeah a little band like but it wasn't even a band show i don't know how the hell they did it but they must have had a generator and I just remember seeing guys that were, you know, 
definitely older than me. I probably was like, you know, 11, 12, something like that. So they were probably like 16, 17, but you know, they look so much older and that they had these guitars that were like actual real instruments. And they were kind of like somewhere near my age. And I just thought, oh my God, that's, that's something. Um, I had a friend that had a Les Paul and, uh, you know, just kind of seeing it and hold it in real life. And eventually going to, um, there was a, a spot on, uh, in, in Brooklyn on Kings uh, Avenue um, called, uh, God, what was there? I think it was called, might've been called King's Music. And- um, King, Was it King James? King James, yes. Was it over by, um, over by the mall? Yes, it was by King's Plaza. Yeah, it was by King's Plaza. Yeah, that's King James. Funny enough, I got my very first drum set there. I got my first guitar there. Yeah. All right. Very and good. Um, I knew we were linked from way back. Yeah, uh, it was a there. music store. Um, and, you know, they would mostly do rentals, uh, I guess, to, to pay the bills. But I just remember going there and, you know, it's the early 80s and just seeing all these like actual, you know, Fender guitars. And I remember seeing a Rickenbacker there and just being like, what the hell it looks so cool with you know the way that the r is and the in the uh you know just like rickenbackers are sort of ornate and seeing that in real life and um you know there there's just something uh that you know continue they're like mad i always think of them as like magic wands and that's just like it's like hogwarts or something going into a store like that and being surrounded by these uh pieces of wood that can create that that could ch- change your life it take you around the world or, or you know uh you know help you meet your best friend you know have all these kind of amazing experiences so uh i think i was pretty knocked out being being at king james music and see, just you know having these like initial sort of um you know of course these things cost money so i there were not like i wasn't like some family kids or something like that would get lucky and you know something like that would be bought for them i had to like assemble you know uh birthday christmas you know paper route all that kind of shit to get something kind of whack but it's something that i could play which was uh, it was your whack it was it, i knew like by the time i would get get to less paul level i would be old so uh, in, in the meanwhile, I got uh, an Ibanez. I don't know the model, but Ibanez made these kind of less poly kind of looking um, uh, shaped bodies, with two, like uh, two humbuckers and a couple of dials on it. And um, it was before, prior to their kind of like metal kind of guitars. You know, it was like more in their kind of like you know, I don't think Ibanez was really well respected at that time, maybe, you know, kind of in the fam, like better than Hondo, but, um, you know, in the kind of Takoi, remember, or is it Takai? Remember so those like the lawsuit like, era, yeah. like the Ibanez lawsuit yeah, era? So I guess the Japanese, like, kind of um, guitars were sort of, like, looked down, maybe because of that, like, they're ripping off American products. That's yeah, kind yeah. of what it was. They all went through this lawsuit stage, whether it's Greco, Takai, Ibanez at that point, Takamine was in that yeah. in that world at yeah. that time. Uh, but the funny thing is, you try and pick up a Greco Les Paul, like a Greco Les Paul custom right now, 
you're yeah. well over a thousand dollars. Some of them oh, easily two thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, saw, I saw one at Main Drag like um, a couple years ago that was kind of tempting me. Uh, yeah, I mean they were they were making cool they were making great guitars, you know. But yeah. there was like, you know, as as a kid, um, obviously like you want to actually own what you know. I'm putting in air quotes, you know, because this isn't video, but like you know the real thing, you know. But um, having like you know, DiMarzio humbuckers, you know, like I knew what DiMarzio's were. And um, I bought a flanger, an MXR flanger. So nice. I had a little bit of like psychedelic power. Uh, you always had that in you, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, you know, I guess, you know, I would play, um, I got it because my guitar teacher taught me how to play Shattered and uh, by Rolling Stones, because nice. I just love that song. And um and so he told me that that was the the effect that they used on uh, on shattered. So I would just you know be like be sh you know racking that out <laughs> by myself. My you know taking like a a, a second between chord changes, um, you know to get to the other chord. And uh, I do that now. But, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's not you know that 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 kind of um, those initial steps into gear. And I think gear then, I mean. And by then, I mean, when I was young and I was like experiencing it for the first time, you know, it was, uh, it felt, felt like there was more of a connection to, um, I guess you can only say this in sort of a relative kind of hindsight way, but, you know, like, um, you know, like a, 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 a Stratocaster or something like you just see like a black and white ad for it. You know what I mean? It's just like, it just seemed like way more like people doing you know stuff like uh i don't want to say it's like all all handmade or anything like that because i don't know that it was like that but it just it just seemed smaller and um and maybe that's why the guitar seems so expensive you know i i, I don't you know i i don't know how you'd what the prices would be then to now like if you scaled up the time you know what i mean but um it all seemed like very kind of out of reach in a way I guess it's it's relative, right? I mean, it is out of reach in the time that you're in it, right? Yeah. When I bought when I bought my first SG in 1991-ish, I think it was 91, it was an expensive yeah. guitar for me. And they were like $4.99 at that point. Like that same yeah. guitar is now $1,300 or $1,200. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's relative to the time, I think. Yeah. So... Uh, I, um, but just being exposed to all that stuff was, you know, so I, I can't think of like, besides like, yes, seeing like footage of like the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, uh, Jimi Hendrix, obviously like, you know, these kind of classic rock people that were like, um, inspiring to me, um, you know, starting to see those guitars. And I remember I was really, really stoked when Fender made the Squire because I thought, fuck, you know, maybe I can get a Squire. You know what I mean? I mean, basically, gotcha. okay, okay it's, of course it's a Squire. It, it, so you're not like, you know, it's sort of a level down, but it looks like freaking it's a Fender. You're in, you're at least in, in the, in the world th that way. I never got one, but um, that was exciting. You know what I mean? And, and it's just an introduction to, um, Your, your instrument like affects your playing or influences your your playing you know and and uh 
sometimes it's like a horse. You got to learn how to break it, learn how to ride it, you know? Right. And, um, and sometimes it just doesn't take, I mean, that's a luxury when you're older. Uh, but when you're a kid, it's got to take the first time or you're screwed. Oh yeah. It's huge. Or you keep huge. forcing it. Exactly. Yeah. Keep forcing yeah. it until it works. So, so that Ibanez was your first yeah. guitar. What was your first amp? What was the amp that you, uh, the first amp you acquired? Along uh, at a PV bandit, no PV uh, studio 40, I think. Uh, I, I'm mixing up with the P PV bandit, which I think was a 60 watt amp or 65 watt amp, but it was a, a PV, like I want to say studio pro, but I can't imagine them tr trying to call that a pro amp, but it was like, you have 40 watt amp. Like uh, it was probably like um, maybe one 12 inch speaker and right. um, you know, cool PV like eighties, like um, you know, all the knobs and stuff like PV yeah. had such a cool aesthetic at that time. Oh, I mean, of course I, it. again, like I, yeah, they, I mean, PV was kind of on the more affordable side too. Like it was more for beginning players. You could like, again, gain access. Like you couldn't like buying a Fender amp. They were expensive at that time, yeah. uh, but PVs were dope. And uh, that amp was really cool. It had like a pull saturation on it. So you could get like a good distortion sound. Um, it might've had reverb on it too. So, I mean, you know, for like a, probably like an amp that costs like uh, less than 200 bucks, it was loud enough to play in, in with my friend um, and uh, you know, had some, had some stuff you could do with it. Yeah. It was probably one of the, it was made in the U S at that point too. Yeah. Yeah. PV was the shit man back then. Yeah. yeah they were the making the Mississippi stuff. Marshalls. Yeah. The Mississippi Marshall. They're, I mean, their base amps, a PV Mark four, that thing was like a workhorse. That was my amp for a new today for a while. Um, and uh, I had a PV T15 guitar later, uh, which had an amp, uh, the case had an amp in the case, like a, you right. know, like a, a silver tone. Yeah. Yeah. And, but, but it had it, you know, like PV had this kind of like, you know, like seventies idea of future, you know, like Logan's run or, you know, or kind of like star Wars, but you know, like these kind of like cheesier, like pre star Wars ones, like PV yeah. had that kind of like future, vibe on it that i i thought was was real cool and uh so yeah i had a pvt 15 i guess that would have been after the ibanez though very cool and it's funny because you had said earlier about you know having the the japanese copy of the les paul and you know yeah. kind of wasn't cool but i mean it's funny because growing up well i'm gonna say growing up you're like a few years older than us but growing up and like seeing the youth of today record covers and seeing Purcell, and at that point, we were all like, oh, Purcell plays a Les Paul. Until yeah. you go back and look at it now, and it was a Les Paul copy that he played for years before yeah. he got his real Les Paul. Yes. Yes. So, um, you know, it was just kind of, you know, I think Richie was probably playing a better guitar <laughs> than Purcell was when they were playing together. Yeah, Richie had a legit uh, Cherry uh, Les Paul, and... Uh, I think by the time I was in youth today, Purcell had a real Les Paul or whatever, like a Gibson Les Paul. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he had the copy. I I don't know if he still has that copy. That if he does, he'd be that would be the one he would, should be playing now. But um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, Purcell taught me a real amazing rite of passage, like uh, how to set my amp. Like I had no idea how to set a Marshall amplifier, and he's like, 
It's easy guy. You just turn up the preamp, turn up the, the, the treble, the mids at, at five and the bases up to 10 too. You're good. Right. Gold. And, and, and that's my basic, basic vibe of set of amp sounds to this day. You know, I mean, I'll, I'll All right. customize it. Case, You've answered but, everything now. We don't. You already told us the secret, so we're gonna go. Yeah, Purcell. Purcell talking everything you know about setting amps. <laughs> you know, his he always sounds very basic, but he it always sounds good to me. He's also he's. It's funny because you listen to his tone. It's a very gamey tone for a lot yeah. of what he does. You know, sh from Shelter, even you know, yeah. Shelter you say Judge, but it's funny because he's actually he's very particular. Oh, he's about super dialing. Yeah, it's very. Um, he has he has a great vision of what he wants to hear. So, super is. Yeah. He plays Mesa boogies. He prefers those, I think, these days because uh, they're just so. Uh, Mesa boogies are just pretty reliable for that kind of, you know, heavy distortion sound. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you said something a little earlier, which is, you know, who thought that this instrument would be something that would take you around the world, which yeah. obviously it has, um, yeah. or introduce you to your best friend. Yeah. So it, it's funny because you also have, uh, I, Actually, I think it was Wallbaums that might have introduced you to one of your yeah. best friends, but it, it fell into music. And there's a very interesting guitar that um, that maybe underwent some some remodeling that you guys yes. shared. So is that so let, let's talk about the Antigua Strat for a little while. Yeah, I, we call it between Arthur and I and and. Uh, so Arthur and I uh, worked at Wallbaums. Uh, I worked there before him. And then, um, you know, there was these punk kids that were coming to Wallbaums. I was, I was the wagon boy at, at Wallbaums. And I was new to Astoria. I had moved from Rockaway, so I didn't know anybody. And um, so I saw these like punk kids that would come into Wallbaums every once in a while. And I was just sort of like, shit, I want to be friends with those guys. Like, how do I, you know, be friends with them? if they're just coming in, like how the hell they're just coming in and out of wall bounce, how could I be friends with them? And also they're punks. So they're unpredictable. Who knows what they could do. If I try to be friends with them, they might stab me because that's what punks do or spit on me. You know what I mean? So I'd have to approach them carefully. Um, but luck would have it that uh, Arthur, uh, who was among that group, got a job at Wallbaums. And so I trained him at Wallbaums in, in uh, wagon boying, which is basically you get the wagon, you bring it back in. It's not, it's not that hard. You guys had um, your trick ropes to kind of keep them together and stuff. Yeah, there's some, there's there's a, some shortcuts. There's an art there's, to it. Yeah, there's an art to it. And, you know, uh, great job. Really one of my favorite jobs I ever had. Um, and... Uh, so yes, yeah, so me and Arthur got became friendly, and um, so I remember I, he invited me over his house one day. You know that we were both guitar players, and uh, he had this uh, what is it called, Antigua Strat? Antigua yeah, Strat. Yeah. Antigua Strat, and uh, it's like a green, yeah. weird green burst, right? Yeah, we called it the washing machine because it looks like a, <laughs> like a Maytag kind of washing machine kind of finish. Yeah, and um. So uh, eventually, and you know, Arthur just, and you know, it's a legitimate Fender Stratocaster. So, you know, oh, yeah. going back again to this sort of like, you know, not that long before just being like, holy shit, he, you know, his mom bought him a Fender fucking Stratocaster. Yeah. Like that's, 
we got the whole story in his episode. It, it was okay. awesome. Yeah. So yeah, you better be fucking good if your parents are gonna like lay, you know, lay out the money for that. So, and he ripped, dude. He was like on another level of guitar playing, you know, in technique. Uh, but we we would jam, and um, eventually Arthur, uh, you know, he was more of a bass player. He was really more in love with playing bass. And uh, he was also, you know, interested in, you know, screwing around with the guitar. So he sanded the, the sanded down the washing machine, and to where it was a wood grain, and um, put a Floyd Rose in it, and he cut cut it out like what is it, grouted it out, whatever. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was a butchered, butcher butcher's job. But he got a Floyd Rose in there, and then I guess when he, I don't know that he like needed money or what you know, when you sell things sometimes at that age, I don't know what the logic is in doing it. Um, but he sold me the guitar. And, uh, and so I used that guitar on, uh, and it had EMGs in it too. Like Arthur put EMGs in it or I might've, but anyway, there was the EMGs in the guitar. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, and I used that guitar on, uh, on all the Gorilla Biscuit stuff. I'm pretty sure the seven inch end, but certainly start today. Uh, and I had the guitar for uh, a few years and then I w w Gorilla Biscuits went on tour to Europe and uh, and it was the end of the tour and I was doing like a, uh, you know, where you buy the Euro rail pass and you, you know, traveling around Europe. And I said, I don't want to carry this fucking guitar back around. I don't want to like have to pick it up either. And I thought like, oh, well I could sell it and have some money for this trip and it was very short-sighted of me uh mm. and uh i sold it i think for four hundred dollars and uh which was actually a lot of money for a used guitar at that point it wasn't because those 70s those especially 70s for uh, uh strats modded out a lot of money at that point and you guys are so out. sweet yeah. you guys are so sweet because that was a terrible price to be honest I mean, well, Floyd Rose. There's some hardcore Europe. kid in Europe that's that's looking for it after this airs. <laughs> well, here's the funny thing: is that I, I, uh, I gosh, Quicksand played in uh, in Amsterdam uh, after we did Interiors, and we toured there. And someone showed up early at the show at Soundcheck. Oh, it was it was I was doing a, an interview for, uh, for for some TV in in Dutch TV, and the person who was filming it was the guy that bought it off of me and he really? brought it to the show later that night oh no yeah. shit he still has so it that's he amazing. still has it yeah so and, did you uh, pull the i have first writer refusal to buy it back for the same price i sold it to you line uh i maybe said something like that but in all honesty <laughs> like uh i i played it and it was cool to play it again but it was so fucking heavy like it just isn't the guitar that i would play i mean i guess it would be cool to have just to, to have it and i think he kept there was a stussy sticker on on it and he kept because stussy was trendy i don't know why it's wow. weird to put stussy sticker on your yeah, guitar we were but, skateboarders man that's yeah weird. so i guess that's it so uh he had kept that on it so it was it was pretty cool to see it again um holy that's wow. awesome and I guess if you would sell it to me, I would buy it, you know, but uh, I, I didn't hard, I didn't press him on it. Um, well, one day when Revelation Records opens their, uh, you know, their museum, that's going to. That would be a good one. <laughs> yeah. Be a good a, at least he's going to need to like, you know, be a, be a donor and, you know, yeah. 
on loan by you know interview guy in the yes yeah. yeah he he uh he was very cool. He brought, I couldn't believe he brought the guitar to, to the show. So I was re- reunited with it for, for a minute, but uh, yeah, it was a great guitar. I mean, EMGs were uh, new at that time. And like you EMG it out with a, with a Marshall amplifier, you're talking like pure saturation Metallica. And then it's uh, you know, I could pull off some like sort of dive bomby kind of things. I mean, I wasn't really doing too much of that stuff. Uh, but you know, there's a few little, little things that I did, uh, on, on the grilled biscuit records that, that using the, the Floyd Rose and um, uh, it's a cool guitar. Yeah. I think so it's high hopes to. Uh, yeah. yeah high hopes. That's yeah. 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 I kind of, I do a little bit of a dive bomb and also just like pulling it a little out of tune, you know, you, you, you know, like make it go a little bit flat. Uh, I did some of that, you know, kind of subtly probably. Uh, and um you know, and Metallica was was kind of like that was when I was I, I had heard Metallica like kind of prior to hardcore, but it didn't really like it didn't grab me. Um, and after running through hardcore, eventually I was like, I got to like revisit like metal. What's going on? Like, it's time for me to like get into Slayer. Like I've been sleeping on this <laughs> and I, and having EMGs were like very much like of that time, you know, like where you have this like next level saturated, uh, distorted, hot ass pickup with this sort of stark look to it that seemed, I mean, they still have like kind of a future vibe to them. You know what I mean? It's like the future of pickups is this, it's sort of a cool aesthetic. So, um, right. so I, 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 that was a, that was a, a cool guitar and um i guess with quicksand i think i you know started playing like les pauls and and uh and yeah more that's tobacco on- custom right yeah yeah um and you had a telly what telly did was that i uh it's a i think it's like 76 telly uh you know it, it's a I don't know what it's some sort of sunburst. I don't, I don't know what you'd call it, but um, yeah, it's like a good solid, you know, 1970s Telecaster. Uh, I still have the original pickups, but replaced it with a Seymour Duncan to kind of get it to rev up a little hotter. Uh, it's not in great shape right now. The electronics are not like working. So I, I've been meaning to like drop that off somewhere, but I haven't really ha- been in any sort of like rush to do that. Yeah. Um, APB for squish, squish. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's a good idea. Shit. Yeah. Um. So, it's a good guitar though. I still have that one. That's awesome. So, did you the, the one quicksand question I had? I'm uh, sorry, and I'll hand it over to Dan because I know he's been waiting to ask. Um, the quicksand question I have is: Did you use those? I guess at that point, you probably used those two guitars on the record because there are clearly guitar parts on that record that you did with a single coil guitar. The single coil stuff was probably Tom because he was playing a Jaguar. Uh, And so you hear that probably a little bit more in his, in his parts than in mine. Um, I guess that's, I was playing, I think I was, I, I was playing, I had a gold top Les Paul and, um, like a cool, like, I guess when, 
I think it was like kind of in the years when Gibson was sort of in this like weird kind of like marauder period, you know, like where they were making those, you know, some sort of in-betweener time, but it was a nice gold top. Uh, I got it. Uh, I bought it pretty, I think for probably like 400 bucks off a friend, 500 bucks. And um, I think that's what I played on slip for the most part. And actually, no, I had a, um, a black Les Paul too, that I might've bought with, um, you know, since I became rich and uh, with my quicksand money, you know, so uh, I got I got that from the uh, album budget, uh, and I bought a, a, a Les Paul. So I think I was playing Les Paul, and, and probably I wasn't playing really much any effects because Sergio and Tom were playing effects. So I just thought like I'm just gonna stay out of that lane and be like Fugazi about it, mm-hmm. and um, and yeah, I wasn't using EMGs at that point. I was probably just like pushing the gain a little harder and uh and i had like a marshall i had a very basic youth of today kind of like approach on my guitars at that time but tom was playing it worked for what you guys were doing yeah but tom had a cool jaguar i mean we were very into my bloody valentine and he bought a really nice jaguar like or you know a pricey one it was it was a beautiful guitar so and you know obviously the we talked about the telly, Les Pauls. We've seen you play everything at one point or another. You've had enough variety in what you've been playing that you've played everything. Yeah. What about, yeah. what, what amps were you drawn to? What were you, I'm an amp guy. Uh, what <laughs> amps were you drawn to uh, going back to that time frame? Like, did, did you just want Marshalls and nothing else or... I just felt like a Marshall had, I understood it. And like having like coming from this sort of, uh, I mean, at the, at the time, I mean, having a Marshall again, I think it goes back to like, holy shit, Marshalls are so goddamn expensive. Like you need, like, even if you can afford the amp, you got to shell out another like 500, 600 bucks for a cabinet. And it's just like giant thing and Judas priest playing them. And like, how the fuck, you know, do you, do you afford that? And, and, um, so I think I had like a real esteem for, for a Marshall amp. And also once Purcell taught me how to like dial it in, it just seemed like that was, that was really all I needed. I wasn't really that curious about, like, I remember like fucking around with like a, a JMP that didn't have like a preamp on it and, you know, doing that, doing that trick where you put the one input into the, the channel, whatever the hell so. that is. Yeah. yeah and I, I didn't care for it. I just like wanted like the JCM 800. And if it was not distorted enough, I would turn the preamp up to 10. If that was too much gain, I would pull it back to seven. <laughs> and, you know, if it felt a little too bright, I would lower the treble. Like, it's just like <laughs> yeah. six dials. I, I was not curious, you know what I mean? Um, in that regard, um, I think that my playing, I'm, a, I'm a, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not, if there's one thing that I'm good at doing, it's playing my own songs. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> play, like I can play them good, you know, given the chance. And um, I'm a good rhythm player. So I think um, the, the thing that featured in my playing was that I was, I was just a very solid rhythm player and had some, you know, some technique, some of it, you know, uh, obviously barred from influences, but also, uh, you know, 
also my own, you know, that, that were, 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 was a byproduct of, 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 uh, of, of, you know, whatever, just the experience of doing it. You start to develop yeah. your own voice. So I thought through like the simple amp setup, simple guitar setup, that that was the best way to feature what I had to bring to it. You know, I guess in, in the, in the, if you're talking about quicksand at that time, you know, whereas, Tom had this more brighter single coil kind of thing with, you know, more effects and Sergio, uh, well, he was in the realm of bass and he was also using effects. Yeah. So uh, I felt that like, if I, if we got a third guy doing that same, I, I felt like I was kind of the more standard, like holding the kind of like basic hardcore kind of sound mm -hmm. down, right. um, you know, with like heavy chords and, you know, my initial, you know, um, one of my founding foundations of my playing is like Angus Young and ACDC, Malcolm Young, you know, like that, that's like the foundations of like the power of like heavy music to me, guitar chords, you know, um, right. pushing through. I mean, I've obviously like branched out in so many different ways and kind of tried to, to expand my playing, you know, like on purpose by like developing it and also just by how life you just bounce into bang into different things and become inspired by different things. But I think at that time, like, and even to this day, like, of course I can fuck around with, with a, any kind of amplifier. Um, and, and I have, especially in a, in a recording studio, but like, if I'm going to play, uh, a festival and I don't know what the amp is, I would like a JCM 800. Cause I know I can, I can get that to work. Solid yeah. foundation. Yeah. Always. And I, I, there's other amps. I think a mess of boogie you can work with too, but I prefer a JCM 800. I just think it has more connection to the seventies. I'm the, I'm the so, same way. It's one of the reasons I asked, I have, I have a ton of amps, but I always use the same 800. Uh, that yeah, was always very straightforward amp. influenced by a lot yeah. of you guys. Just that's what I saw. Uh, thank you. Thank that's you. True. Yeah. Yeah, actually, it's, it's, Marshall owes the New York hardcore scene like residual checks because yeah, I think yeah. everybody went out and bought 800s because we all kind of wanted to do what you guys were doing. Um, so why not do it with the same gear, right? The, yeah. oh, oh, if I just buy that, then I'll sound like that. Oh, well, we didn't exactly. <laughs> that didn't pan like out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a good start. You know, you create your own own vibe. I mean, they, they have the Marshall just implies muscle too you know which is like uh yeah like the amps big and kind of not only physically loud but just you know with the the iconic marshall look and all that kind of stuff i just think of like stacks like judas priest like or you know they look fucking sick as hell yeah. um but they imply they have a muscular muscularness to them that you can inhabit or play against it you know what I mean? Like make it sound, you can make a Marshall amp sound fucking sweet if you play a sweet. And if yeah. you like, you know, if you, if you trim some of the, some of the nastiness off it, if, if you, if you choose to, but you know, if it's a, if it's a good one and they're not all made equally, especially once you got into like the nine hundreds and stuff. Yeah. Um, and there's lemons within the 800 world too. Um, oh, yeah. but you, uh, and you know, and it's a lot, it's a thing that's alive. You got your tubes, like the, you know, you got one, ratty tube that could fuck up your whole thing um you know so there's a it's a it's a living thing but um i think it just has all the the range that i've ev ever needed but you know 
at the same time, I'm, I'm not saying that's all there is to it, but you know, uh, I probably like more loose now and also more adverse to like having big fucking heavy things that I have to carry around. Which, yeah. which is actually a funny statement considering when you do play, you carry around a 212 JMP combo, which yeah. is almost worse. Although it is an amazing sounding friggin' amp. Thank you, James. Uh, it is worse, except in this way, like uh, a Marshall amp. The amp now doesn't is not a pain in the ass to carry. Uh, the, a cabinet is going to be a pain in the ass. You need a friend. No matter how you slice it, that's two trips. If you got the if you got if you got the one if you got the fucking two twelve, it sucks. There's no cool way of carrying it. I use I try to carry like a like groceries. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and it you sucks. have to do the arm switch thing. It sucks. And then I'll just try to carry it like a briefcase and bangs against your shin. It sucks. There's no cool way to carry it. But um, but at least it's one trip. You know, it's funny because when you say two trips, I start laughing because I think of stigma uh -huh. talking about how he used to take two trips from his place in Little Italy to Seabees. He would bring his amp, you know, his head in his cabinet. Then he'd uh -huh. go back home and pick up his guitar. And he goes, and that's when I'd bring the cannolis back. Oh, my God. That's hilarious. <laughs> it's an amazing story if you get to hear him tell it. Um, okay, so let's, by the way, that amp, I, I can't say enough about your, your 212 JMP. I've searched around. I had one at one point. I got rid of it. I shouldn't have. We'll get yeah. into that too, because we'd love to know your shouldn't have. And it may have been that strat. Um, yeah. But um, so that night that <laughs> the Gorilla Biscuits did the House of Vans and I was talking uh -huh. for you, uh -huh. I have to curse the bridge on your 70s SG. Because oh, that was the tech difficulty, right? We couldn't get it. Well, no, I think you popped a string, but and I okay. overestimated yeah. the actual light behind the stage at, at House of Vans, which when yeah. I say underestimated, there was no light. So I'm trying to yeah. that the, the bridge, those old tremolos on those SGs, such a bitch to restring, especially when you're trying to hold a flashlight. Yeah. I don't bring that guitar out live anymore because it is a it's like just more of a museum piece. It's such a nice. Yeah. beautiful but fragile guitar and because of the bigsby and the and the and the stringing system you have to like loop it around if you're not used to doing it if you haven't done it like on the reg it's very challenging to do on the fly and i know how to do it and i have my own like crazy system and sometimes like i forget okay do i hold this first or do i pull this around and it, it'll take me a minute um that uh but it's a beautiful guitar i have uh for for those listening uh james is referring to this uh i have a sg uh i think i guess it's a custom sg where it's yeah, like it's got a the three pickup uh, custom uh walnut color yeah it's beautiful early 70s Gorgeous. um and uh it's yeah it's just i don't play it that much i think i might might play i might record with it i probably brought it down to record the new quicksand stuff i don't really remember how much I played it, but uh, I've I always love SGs because they have the um, that I mean obviously Angus Young who's one of my main influences uh, and that SGs have uh, uh, you know a lot of that what Les Pauls bring but with much less weight and much more um, there's a certain liveliness to it like whereas a, a Les Paul is 
awesome for its stability. Dense. Uh, an SG is really nice for its flexibility. You know, like yeah. whether it's like you can move neck around. Uh, it's just a looser, like if, if you, I guess it's mainly just like being able to lean into it a little bit. Um, of course you could snap the neck off. Uh, but you know, that's stage that, divers that, look out. Yeah. But the, I, I, I really like, uh, SGs, but that one's, that one's a beauty. And I just don't want to fuck with like a putting, putting my friends out, trying to string it under pressure situations <laughs> and B all it would take is it to fall off the guitar stand and the thing would probably shatter into a million pieces. It's not yeah. worth it. It's but funny Dan that you I mentioned are... the, Oh, sorry. No, I was going to say you and I are both fans. You know, that neck. That's that slim, oh, yeah. that super slim '70s SG custom neck. Yeah. It's real slim taper. It, it's it's just home. It's like when you when you hold it, it's like you you feel like oh, your oh, hands yeah. could do anything, right? Oh uh, yeah, it's it's a very comfortable guitar to play. I uh, I love SGs for the same reasons, and uh, it's funny that you talk about you mentioned you know breaking the neck off, uh, being able to move that neck around and breaking it off uh we switched we got gavin to switch to an sg he started playing them and loved playing sgs and when we played webster hall i kept looking over at the other side of that stage and i thought he was going to snap the neck right off that guitar it's literally what i was thinking on stage as as it was happening yeah. and it's funny that you brought that up because it's it i never actually even talked i talked about it with him once but uh he was doing his thing and I was like, maybe we shouldn't have Hulk gone smash. to such a thin guitar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, uh, I mean, he looks like he could probably break any kind of guitar, you know, if he's in, in the zone. If he decides uh, but to. But yeah, yeah. SGs are a little bit, you know, like Les Pauls are, um, you know, just more sturdy. But that the SG, yeah, you have that, that give to it, which is like, yeah, it's just, it's kind of a little sportier. Yep. Absolutely. So, uh, <clears throat> In your playing, we've always kind of seen the textural, right? Let's just talk quicksand for a second. You just said, you know, you were holding down the, the heavy, you were holding down the bottom, the solid, the foundation, and and then you've got Tom texturing over it, and you got Sergio playing and texturing. And, and in truth, you're texturing as well, right? Because your lyrical, your vocal style, not your lyrical style, your vocal style is very, um, it takes you through a journey. It doesn't mm -hmm. just tell you a story. Mm -hmm. And that's your texture. So now talk about rival schools, where mm -hmm. although Ian was a textural master, yeah. as well you now start playing with effects you yeah. now start to to you you start to write and again i i mentioned it in the in the intro you know while we're all trying to like figure out you know how to how to do this this quicksand thing um now you're you're on your way doing doing something completely different and doing something almost psychedelic and mm -hmm. uh so let, let's kind of talk about guitar wise. Cause I mean, I'm looking at the, and no one's going to see this, but I could see behind you. You have like an incredible collection of off the wall guitars. You got a great yeah. collection of these wacky guitars. Yeah. And yeah. I think guitars are, you know, I guess I was going back before is like, they're like magic wands, you know? So I, I especially love, um, I mean, I can get into, you know, guitars that are like legit good guitars like, you know, well-made fucking cost money are awesome. Um, 
I can, I think there's like a lot of room. I can get into a brand new, like, not like, you know, uh, like I think there's such a wealth of awesome guitars that cost like $899 right now, you know, in, 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 in this, in the realm, in the range of like, say, yeah, 599 to 899, there's a shit ton of guitars that are like just good guitars. You make it yours. You know, you just got to like hang with it for a few years or maybe not even. And that could just be like your guitar forever. Like there, it's just like, you know, like, I mean, James, you, you would know it's like there, there's just been, I don't know, some sort of progress and they're just able to like create quality guitars that, you know, it's different than like, you know, some like craftsmen whittling away on it, you know, I guess, because they're using like, you know, tech, you know, I'm guessing computer techniques to fucking do everything. Right. Oh yeah. But, but as, as a result of that, I think there's a, I I can play those guitar too and and love them. But I, I think like, um, there's a really sweet spot for, um, and it sometimes just blows my mind. These, you know, obviously there was a time when like, you know, say Nirvana came up and then all of a sudden people were buying these like Mustangs and kind of like shittier, not shittier, but like less desired Fender guitars that were like, you know, or like a little bit, you know, kind of wonky ones, you know, or not that they're wonky, they were Fenders, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah, they um, were just un- unpopular to that point. Yes, so yeah, they were good guitars, but they were just unpopular. I still am surprised by how many like interesting, like kind of small companies make guitars that are like, you know, were probably made by like a craftsman, like glued by a guy in like the 1960s or 1970s with these like pickups that are totally not standard to anything except for this one company that made them for, you know, uh, a year or two of their existence. And I'm not even talking about like, you know, uh, Dan Electro or, you know, some of these like better known kind of like beginner guitars, but like guitars that I don't even know what the fuck their name is. Like I have this guitar back here. I don't even know who makes that guitar. It's probably some, it's some Japanese guitar. It sounds really cool. And I never seen anyone else play one. And um, it has a sound all of its own. And I think I bought it for like less than a hundred bucks. I mean, just looking yeah. at it, it's worth more, more than that. Yeah, sure. Um, as a, dec- and, as a uh, decorative piece, if anything. Yeah. I mean, you want to buy something to hang on your wall. It's going to cost more than that. So I think. um, So you just hit on something. You just hit on something though. So it's, it's an off the wall guitar. You never saw anyone play it, but you pick it up and it feels different and it sounds different. Yeah. So does that make you sound different? Does that lead you? Does it bring you through a journey of writing um, something you normally wouldn't write? For sure. You know, I, I think that's the trick. I mean, I've written some stuff with that guitar because it's just like, it resonates with me in a certain way. Like how the neck feels, like the shape of the body. Uh, I don't, you know, how it sounds like not plugged in, how it sounds plugged in. Um, uh, you know, there's some weird switches on it that you can fuck around with. I, I don't even really care about that too much. It's more about like the feel. And, uh, you know, if I am in the mode of like, uh, okay, well, I'm, you know, Walter with a Les Paul, you know, some sort of like classic version, you know, that person, right? Like, that's a cool, safe, home, homey spot. Uh, and I can do a lot of cool things with that. But then it's just sort of like, what the hell am I doing here? I got to get, I got to get out and see what's going on. So if you plug in a guitar like that, you're immediately, um, 
you're wearing a new set of clothes, you know what I mean? And you're, you're, yeah. and you're yeah. wearing a new set of clothes, you might act differently. You might be perceived differently. And I think as an artist, that's, you need to do that. You know, if you don't, if, I mean, I mean, not everybody, but I mean, for me, like, uh, it's helpful. It's like it, it, you expand your palette and, and it's fun, you know? So I, I do love, you know, and a pedals like that too. You get a pedal, like, I'm not even like that. I don't get deep into the pedals. I'm pretty much like a three knobs top guy. And I got to be able to, if in three knobs, figure out something that I think sounds cool. And that might be a pretty generic sound to someone else that understands or would have more patience or has more, uh, you know, yeah, just some people are, are more interested in, in discovering all the little tricks and stuff. But for me, like, it's pretty immediate. Like if there's a sound that is striking me, then I'm going to start channeling into that sound mm -hmm. and doing something cool with it. And, um, so yeah, I will mix it up with other guitars. And, uh, you know, when I'm playing live, I, 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 I do tend towards a lot of these guitars just sound shitty. Uh, uh, if you're cranking up a Marshall or something like the guitars are just not meant to handle that. So you, I've tried to bring some of these guitars out on tour and it's just like fucking whistling. And then I, you know, it's just, so I, I tend to use like more pro balanced, uh, right. a lot of fenders, you know, that, that I, I trust. Um, but you know, in terms of like writing, recording, um, you want to, you want to try, or at least I want to, um, to try different different looks and 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 catch different inspirations and and uh open that up awesome they're like different paint brushes right mm -hmm. yeah absolutely like bob ross like bob ross is gonna <laughs> do this fucking thing and then he's gonna take another paintbrush and oh holy shit it looks like a mountain you know uh if he didn't use that other paintbrush you know the clouds would look weird you know now they look totally like something else so yeah they're they're different paint brushes outside of the fam of like you know, just good, solid yeah. instrument that you could buy uh, at a at a you know reputable music store. So, so obviously you've used top end stuff, Les Pauls, SGs. We mm -hmm. talked about all the Defender stuff, yeah. and James and I have both had a love for other kind of off the wall guitars as well. Uh, mm -hmm. You've had availability to try all this stuff and get this mm -hmm. equipment. What is like the the guitar that you always wanted, but never got your hands on or never found the right one. Uh, was there, is there like a single thing that ever stood out for you that you wanted to get in your hands? Like a wish you were able piece. to make happen? Uh, I wanted a 335 for a time. Um, I don't know that I care anymore. Um, just cause you know, it's like, it's sort of like one of the big ones to get. Um, I think, uh, I don't know. I don't really pine for that. Um, I mean, there's definitely like, um, I don't, I have a, this, like a, a Fender gave me like a Jimi Hendrix strat, which I really like. Um, and it has like that neck on backwards, you know what I mean? So it looks like Jimmy and the, and the pickups are really awesome in it. So it's like, when I play in that guitar, I literally feel like Jimi Hendrix. I mean, it's maybe corny, like that's for like beginners or something like that, or like, but it actually works for me. So like, I feel awesome. like, yeah, it's just real. Like, I don't care. Like, I know that they're like, okay, Jimi Hendrix, play like Jimi Hendrix. 
I am fucking playing like Jimi Hendrix when I play the, that that guitar. <laughs> okay, now what you hear might sound like total garbage, but in my mind, I'm fucking rocking so hard, it's insane. Uh, and uh, so that kind of guitar does that. It's like sort of that's its magical power. Um, I've never really had a Strat that I felt even that one with the EMGs, like I mutated that one so hard that it was barely a Strat anymore, you know, because it was right. with the Floyd Rose and the EMGs. And uh, it, it was so heavy, the body. I don't know what kind of wood it was, but it's mad heavy. Um, I believe it's cement. Like, they made the yeah, 70s. It's, Fenders are made of cement. cement oh, Jesus. <laughs> it's too heavy. So I don't know. I guess I'm still kind of like wanting to have a Strat that I really love. I had a like a, a 57 reissue that was pretty expensive guitar some years yeah. ago. And um, I sold it. I don't know. I just, I couldn't make it sound good. I didn't know what the fuck to do with it. Um, when, when you get a chance, uh, if you ever head back out to Fender when you're on the road next tour, God willing, knocking on wood, that yeah. you can do that. Um, try and play something with a v, like a Strat with a V-neck like a 54 reissue type neck. Um, yeah. Cause that's what I needed to get. I was never a Strat guy. You know me, I'm, I'm a big dude. I'm 6'2", 280, a Strat. I kind of, you know, I look like Magilla Gorilla playing a small <laughs> guitar like that. Um, but um, <laughs> a fifth, I found, I, I got a, a 54 reissue and the V neck just, oh, wow. Now it finally, I felt like comfortable playing a strategy. Right. Um, and of yeah. course I'm the same way where you feel like you were Hendrix. I feel, I pick it up and immediately like start playing John Frusciante licks or something. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I mean, that's what you want, you know, like it to, it to, it to bring that out of you to like, to shred like, and the, and the, you know, the strat is such an iconic instrument. It's like, it's like, of course it's a guitar, but it's like really its own. I, I see it as it's like own beast, you know, like mm -hmm. a, a strat, like who can play a strat? Well, I mean, I think it really favors good, like kind of technically good players. Um, you gotta sadly, be clean. you gotta be clean. That's the thing that's yeah. challenging, you know? Uh, so, but I think if I could get like a good strat, a strat that felt good, I love these pickups in, in the Jimi Hendrix one. Like I, I would probably want to get those in it just for like a little bit of, um, you know, comfort factor because yeah, cause I'm technically, technically, you know, like I'm good at playing my own things. I'm not like, I don't, I'm not shredding, you know, but, uh, but you know, I got great feel. Well, that's why you surround yourself with the, with people that compliment your, how you play. Right. Yes, and that's why yes. the bands that you've been in, whether you were playing with Zach Blair or you're playing with Tom or you're playing with Ian yeah. or any of those guys, they complimented you and your style and texture. It's true. Right. So, it's true. Um, well, we're, I think we're, we're creeping up on, uh, on, on a long podcast here and I, I like long podcasts, but not everyone does. Yeah. So I think we're going to start to hit you with some rapid fire quickies. Do it. Shoot so um, one coolest guitar acquisition story. And it's funny because I asked this question and I like, I'm kind of expecting some people to go like, eh, they're pretty average, you know, whatever. But then Gavin goes and tells us a story how he bought a guitar from, um, who was it? It was, it was uh, Billy Gibbons. Telly. Billy Gibbons on St. Mark street. And At we're like, Chris Mojo's place. That one. That's cuckoo. Does he still have it? Yeah. Good for yeah. him. Yeah. It was that, um, it was that Mojo. That's cool. Mojo is great. Um, Survi it survived the squat. 
that's a, that's a that's a special uh, special thing. Um, I got a. Uh, I remember Quicksand was on tour. I think we were touring with Seven Seconds, and uh, we. I were sent in- you the bootleg of that show. Yes, yes, which is amazing. So I think it was on this tour, and we That's were in funny. Milwaukee, and um, we were staying at somebody's house. You know, we would just stay at people's houses at that point. You know, people we didn't know. We met them at the show or something, and uh, we went to see uh, Wizard of Oz in the in the uh, botanical gardens there, and it was the first time I ever took mushrooms. So I was just <laughs> tripping balls watching like. Uh, Wizard of Oz in, in this botanical <laughs> garden. And uh, and we went back to the house afterwards. I'm still bugging. And um, and this one of the roommates came home and he had this uh, Gibson, I think it's a 120 ET120 or something, 120T. It's like a jazz guitar. I can't remember yeah, the name of it. Right. It's a shallow body jazz box with like a single pickup. Yeah, with a single pickup, yeah. And uh, in perfect shape it's like 1965 like not a scratch on it beautiful uh and i i offered to buy it off of him in my like mushroom mushroom haze and uh he sold it to me for 300 bucks and i still have it it's beautiful it's actually wow yeah it's in great shape i've played it solo and i've played it here and there on kind of solo stuff but it's it's just a beautiful guitar and and i still have it Ah, uh, that's so cool. Spent your yeah. per diem money on it. Yeah, yeah. It was cool. More than my per diem money at that point. It was like, uh, <laughs> I actually don't know how I got that money. I don't know where one would get $300 at that time. Uh, and that's just the price I remember thinking like, fuck, that's kind of cheap for like something so beautiful and old. Oh, that yeah. Well, that that's that's one for the grandkids. Yeah. So uh, what about... How about the rarest guitar you've ever played or like the craziest guitar you've ever played? The most expensive, the rarest, the the most elusive, the strangest, a, a celebrity's okay. guitar, any like uh-huh. something in that uh, realm. Okay. Um, nothing's really quite coming to mind, except I remember that uh, Arthur used to work at Manny's and uh, he was working... Uh, I think he was really, he was working the acoustic guitar department at that time. And, uh, I remember visiting him up there and just, he, and he got me in the back room and they would have these like, uh, like 1940s, like Martins and shit like that. And just playing these guitars that, you know, cost like 10, $20,000 and, uh, just (laughs) being like kind of afraid in a way, but at the same time when you're, um, I always just bug on like how guitars are like were made by somebody, especially older ones, you know, made by somebody that maybe like, you know, uh, raised a family building guitars. You know what I mean? Like maybe didn't even play guitar, probably didn't play guitar. It was just like an object that they were creating like craftsmen. Master woodworkers. Yeah. Like that to me is just so fucking awesome. Cause you know, people in the guitar business now are like generally guitar players or enthusiasts. Right. But at one time, there might've just been like a factory in that town they applied for the job and it was, it could have been making, you know, stools, but it happened to be guitars. And yeah. uh, by I the way, Chi- China is full of those people who don't play guitar and build guitars all day long. Yeah. Okay. So I think Leo there's Fender. something. Well, yeah, yeah, there was Leo too. Okay. Well, so and, yeah, Jim, so- and Jim Marshall was a drummer. He was the same thing. Yeah. But 
He was an it's electronics. Been, it's been guy. going on since the beginning. I think it's cool. And uh and just thinking about whoever first bought that guitar, you know, like playing like a Martin, like who bought this guitar like when it was brand new in like 1938 or something like that. Yeah. What was going on in the world when they fucking strummed this guitar for the first time and like mm-hmm. Hitler Hitler, Hitler was going on in the world. At, yeah. At so they're like, fuck, I hope Hitler loses the war. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I fucking hate Hitler. You know, like whatever it is. I don't know why he was a Southern guy, but uh, <laughs> that's apparently he was Southern. That's just how it goes. Uh, Sometimes. So uh, just because it's because it's so old timey, you know, it just seems like it wouldn't be like, say, I hope Hitler loses. You know what I mean? <laughs> Man, see, this is for the boys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I don't know. I can't think of like exactly like other people's guitars that I've played. Although, you know, on tour, you know, if I'm on tour of the band, sometimes I'll just be like, you know, we'll just fucking check out each other's guitars yeah. and stuff. Yeah, of course. Fun stuff. All right. So we've all got the one that got away. Mm. Like the God damn it. I wish I never sold that. What was I thinking? And it's not so much about what you were thinking, as much as what's the one that got away? Uh, you know, I have a few, I guess that the, that Stratocaster would be one. I, uh, the, the GB one. Um, I had a, uh, a, a, my first P bass that I played in youth for youth today. I, I don't know what happened to it. I don't know. Is that the natural one? Uh, no, Is I have that. So oh, you have I that have one. an actual, I still have that. Uh, you still that play the, that one when you yeah. does reunions. Yeah. So that was the second one I had though. Um, that got away. Um, I, there was, I had an SG around that same time that I played with Gorilla Biscuits for a short time. And I bought it at We Buy Guitars on uh, 48th street. And I think I paid like $400 for it. Uh, and uh, it was painted white um you know with like house paint and uh and it was it was like uh just kind of cool sg and if i still had that now that guitar would be so fucking ill and i probably could like it would be so iconic um and i just sold it for like no good reason i don't know like nothing i ever sold i at least have learned this lesson none of the guitars i ever sold were for any good reason like the money I got was like, okay, now I've got $400 and two weeks later and that money's gone. Or, you know, yeah. even then you know, $400 now could be gone, you know, by tomorrow afternoon. Right. Uh, you, you weren't know. like, I really needed that kidney. So no, no, it was nothing like that. So I, I hold, you know, I have the house upstate so I can, I have space to, and I have a re- rehearsal space with, with storage space with quicksand. So I have enough room to store all these guitars and and my view is like there's no reason for me to really sell any of them i'll give some away sometime if i'm feeling like you know cool uh and and that happens every once in a while but otherwise like i just keep all my stuff and like if i've ever in like um the cool thing about guitars if you ever you know in a bind they they generally keep their worth you know, it's funny when I was at Guitar Center, uh, I started a Guitar Center in 1998 and we they were a public company at that point. And like the company was like hitting us like stock options, like buy stock options. You could buy them out of your paycheck, yada, yada. And my boss turned to me and he goes, don't buy stock. Although buying that that stock would would have done pretty well when they ended up yeah. going private again. But he said, don't. He goes, buy vintage guitars trust me 
buy vintage yeah. guitars. His name's Elliot Jacobs. Shout out Elliot. Elliot has a giant gun safe in his house in South Jersey. And he legit has Karina Flying V's, Karina Explorers, 59, more than one 59 Les Paul. Actually, probably, I think only one at this point. But I mean, he, he oh, 50 strats, 60 strats. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and he's right. I mean, you invest in in that kind. Of, I, it's funny because over the years, I certainly didn't spend that kind of money on on many of the guitars I have, but I, I've every once in a while, actually, when I kind of renewed the homeowner's insurance, I always kind of like go through and go like, okay, so this is worth that. Well, no, that's what I paid for it. And then you start going on reverb and going, holy shit, that's what it's worth. You know, I've yeah. got three, I've got a, my father, this isn't about me. This is about you, but my father got me a 64 guild T100, which is very close to the, your Gibson. Uh, yeah. single, you know, single pickup, thin body, and he found it upstate, up by you, uh, in, yeah. in a house that they were cleaning out that was a foreclosure house. And he goes, Oh, here, you know, like, you know, you'd like this. I'm like, Wow, cost me zero. Got to insure it for like two grand, like right. easy. And, and that's probably the underselling it. It's in, you know, rough yeah. shape, but Jesus. So, yeah, hold on to them, you know, like in, 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 if you, and I've just never, luckily, not, yeah, knock on wood. I've never been in a spot where like, you know, th that, that amount of money is going to fix everything. So, uh, you know, all the guitars, I wish I, I don't know what happened to that bass. Wish I didn't sell that SG. And I lost a really nice Telecaster on tour, like a few years ago. I don't know where the fuck happened to that. I don't know where it is. It just vanished. Really and your nice. D28. And my D28, oh, yes, that got stolen. That's a bum out. I guess that's really the one. I had uh, that D28 Martin, and I. it's just sort of like that thing where you're just like, oh, I'll just leave the guitar in the van. It's nothing could happen to it. We're in Chicago. <laughs> you know? So stupid. We were on tour. Actually, uh, Purcell will remember this. We were on that Shelter No Doubt tour. And Unwritten Law was opening. Uh, yeah, I think they were actually the opening slot the whole tour. So they normally would have one of their band members or roadies sleep in the van while yeah. everybody else went and slept. Yeah, that's what you're man in the do. van. Man in the van. Yeah, that's what you're supposed to do. Well, man in the van slept through somebody stealing all their gear while we were on that tour. That's crazy. In December in the South. Holy shit, man. No, it wasn't those one of those. I really wanted that equipment because that's a fucking scary operation. Like, we're going to rob this van while the dude's in the van? He was sleeping. You know, I, you've heard stories, people sleeping on the roof of the van in the middle of the summer, right? Summer night, whatever. Yeah. But yeah, this dude was, was in the van. So I remember having to, you know, platoon some gear together so that they could play the next show before their management company got them. That reminds me. That's what happened to that. To that. Uh, that P base was uh, Youth Today's van got robbed and the equipment got stolen and the base was in there. So that's what happened. It was a cool base. It looked like Sid Vicious's base. Oh, nice. Oh, so uh, my my wrap up question is always the same because I love this one and I can't answer it myself. There's no way I can choose. Uh, Desert Island Gear. If you have to pick one guitar, one amp, pedal whatever the, uh -huh. the three items that you're going to be stuck with forever, what would you, uh, 
what would you be able to pick? Um, damn. I don't know that I can really pick one, one instrument. Uh, I'm, I'm really uh, kind of perplexed by this one. Um, I'm going to have to probably go with my holiday um, Bobcat, which is a has gold foil pickups. It's a small scale, easy on a desert island. Like it's fucking easy to like walk around with this thing. It's totally small. Uh, and I bring, I bring my little uh, cube, my crate cube amp. Rolling uh, it's like cube. a little crack. rolling, rolling cube. Yeah. Let's rolling. get rolling. Uh, that has like battery powered. So obviously, like there's no battery, there's no electricity on the island. So that would be good at least for some period of time, depending on how many batteries I'm allowed to bring. There's infinite all- batteries on the island. Yeah, we'll give infinite you infinite, yeah. Yeah. infinite batteries. Well, bring the rolling cube because it's got all the pedals, uh, it's got all the effects on it, and it's small. Ah. I can just wrap it around my waist if I needed to. And um yeah, wouldn't need any pedals. I would bring a synth pedal though, uh, because that's always kind of cool. Like you can, like the uh, electroharmonics uh, micro synth. synth, micro synth. No, not the micro synth. I would get. The, I would bring the um, the what is that thing that the Beatles used all the time? Uh, the uh, it's like they use it in. Um, Let me take you down. I'm going to strawberry fields. You know, it's the thing where they tape the uh the sounds it's like kind of like uh mellotron the mellow nine pedal ah uh, gotcha yeah yeah electromonics mellow mellow nine pedal because it has all these like soothing sounds like flutes and orchestra and funny uh choral sounds that's kind of a cool thing to have and the and the the uh, cube amp doesn't have that but otherwise i'm good for flanger chorus all that shit so i think that's pretty that's what i would go with I like that. Those are definitely interesting choices. That's the most interesting answer we've gotten thus far. Absolutely. Definitely was. Cause that yeah. was like function over fashion. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, uh, and an, uh, inspiration for the, uh, you know, for the rest of your life. So that's good. I like it. Yeah. And I'd bring, uh, and I'd, I, I and I'd bring, uh, I'd play Ernie ball strings on that. And, uh, and I would get, um, God, what can I bring from Fender? Uh, and I'd wear a Fender t-shirt the whole Fender time. t-shirt the whole time on the desert <laughs> island. <laughs> That's okay. Those guys, those guys will love you. They understand. No, one of those dope Fender straps where it says Fender on it. That's that's a pretty cool thing. It's like good good branding, but I actually legit like that. But listen, kind of here's the thing: you disappeared. You're on a desert island. They're, they're not worried about you anymore. Oh no! All right, <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> that's how it goes. <laughs> All right. all right man yeah, all right, well good this has been awesome i love shooting the shit with you about everything tonight's probably the first time we actually just got to sit and shoot the shit about gear yeah. um dan and i do this often and uh um, and we love to do it and we love to do it with our friends this was a lot of fun so we loved having you on Thank you so much. Uh, you know, maybe we'll get uh, maybe we'll get the the who's who of uh, maybe we'll get like you and Purcell and you know try and get some other guys on and do like a big round table to talk about funny gear stories. I think that yeah. we're kind of leading up to doing something fun like that. But um, thanks so much for your time, and uh, we we really want to thank you for coming on. And hopefully the listeners enjoyed it, and uh, we'll hear you on uh, on tour soon.
Awesome. Pleasure talking with you guys, man. Good, good to see you both. Take care.